Hello and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. <sighs> Bit of a boring week, really. Not not major happened, has it? I haven't yeah. really secured anything at all. Not trying to sound too smug. I said to you, we need to warn about sounding like school children and excited little says, boys like I was yesterday. Was say, having ran home to his missus yesterday. But um, yeah, we're going to UFC 286. London, March 18th. Um, we only had to get up four hours early to get the tickets. Wasn't going to touch wood as difficult as we potentially expected, did we? So join Fight Club to make sure that we got the pre-sale for the two days before. Both in work early, four screens on, multiple access, trying to get as many chances as we would. We got through relatively quickly, didn't we? And we, we weren't able to get the cheaper seats, admittedly, but we got the second run of cheap seats, didn't we? We didn't pay six grand for a oh, fucking ticket say, like some people were, were saying they were going to. As excited as we obviously are, and that excitement isn't going to go down anytime soon, it's got to be mentioned about the prices because they're fucking ridiculous. I've never seen standard tickets for an event, at any sporting event, at this sort of price. So just, re- was it £170 was the cheaper seats? So I'm right? just looking at them here. £170.50 was the cheapest seats. That's without, I think there was some sort of ticket £3.50 fee transaction yeah. fee and a £27.50 booking fee. It was. On top of, on obviously, top of that. that. Um, we didn't get the second cheapest. So the second cheapest was £225.50. They were completely gone by the time we'd got on. And again, bearing in mind, we'd got on, I think, what, a minute after it had gone on sale, it wasn't like we were waiting that long. Um, got the 280 ones, but then they're in tier four, so they're a little bit further back. It's only a small venue, is the O2 Arena, so it's not as though it's the end of the world. We'll still have good seats, still going to have a, an absolutely ridiculously good night. But then you look at some of the prices, 488 596 to sit in eight floor, and that's what they were on sale for at the time. If you look at them now, people are obviously already reselling them. You're looking at thousands and thousands of pounds. And it's that's VIP for most boxing events, is that? Yeah, well, I think ringside, or they didn't even say ringside, did they? They, they were saying floor, floor seat seats was yeah. £6,000 a ticket. And, um, I mean, admittedly, I, my mindset was this. We've been talking about this for a while been a fair few years rather longer than i thought 2009 was the last time i went to a usc event when it was in england um when we were looking back through uh, but i said to my missus about this last night and she's like why on earth then you got those tickets did you not buy them sell them for some ridiculous price and i said you know what i don't care about that like this for me was just about going me and you being there getting the chance to see the first ever englishman title holder defending the uk that's what it was about. wasn't about trying to make money, flog all these other Muppets that don't care and will pay silly money for it. Just wanted to be there. There's also some, not even something, it's clearly a ridiculous amount of something, but it's scummy as all hell to buy tickets to then sell them on and sell them for like thrice the price. Obviously, a lot of people like ourselves have put in, quote unquote, work into getting these tickets. Really excited for it. And then because some twat who's decided I'm going to buy four and then sell them for four times the price and make a profit of a few thousand pounds and it's a very quick, easy turnaround, isn't it? But you're then limiting the people that can go who have been desperate to go to this. Also, I think there's a kind of an irony, which hopefully this happens to some people who have done that, is, oh, right, so you've pulled my pants down and made me pay three times the price. 
I'll be seeing next to you in the O2 Arena. Um, so you, for people who bought four, if they're going, like me and you, and we'd done that with another two tickets, we'd be sat next to the people who we'd then absolutely ripped off. And if I was one of those people, I might have a word to say to the people next to me, like, oh, are you the twat that sold me the tickets for three times the face value when I really wanted to go because I'm a proper fan like you two. So hopefully there'll be some justice dished out in amongst the seats that we might get to see. But for me, one one of the only times I'm ever going to say this in my life, wasn't about making money for me. It was about the being there and participating and being part of it. Once in a lifetime opportunity. And that's probably how Dana White's managed to... And it will sell out. They haven't gone public sale as of yet obviously Friday we're 9 o'clock on, tomorrow on Thursday so yeah um, they will sell out almost certainly and the, the unfortunate nature of it is that it's going to set a precedent for any future events and I'm sure they'll only get more and more expensive um, but the only advice I've been given by Ian because obviously it's his neck of woods is to avoid the type of clothes that I would usually wear apparently no jazzy trousers because I get stabbed yeah, and as I told you before, any, any, any listeners of my era will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say an Affliction t-shirt if you, Daryl had not seen an Affliction t-shirt, which I showed him on um, uh, Googling yesterday, you'll see plenty more than you've ever seen before on March the 18th of men my age, clearly on steroids, with a 20-year younger woman wanting to look like they're a cage fighter with gold chains and Affliction t-shirts. And I will be saying nothing to them. I won't be taking the piss because I'll probably get... Stabbed, if not murdered. As I've always said to you, look at the ears. When someone's ears are chewed up and mangled and mashed, that's the sign of someone. When have you ever said that... look at people's ears? The jiu-jitsu. If you ever look at look at yeah, like, fighters, that to me. I'm sure <laughs> I've said to you before. Well, like, if, if you ever iron someone up in terms of how hard they are, whether to get into a scrap, if their ears are perfect, they're probably not that tough. If their ears are all stewed up and mangled and bloodied and cauliflowered, do not pick a fight with that person. They might just be rugby players. But also, I'll be honest, if someone walks up to me in the four times me eye, I'm not going to be like, in like stock years old. And I'm like, you know what, I could tech you. But before I do, can I just check your ears, please? But equally, some guy who's four times the size of you, a bit skinny, perfect ears walks up. Or someone my size, fucking mangled ears. I'm like, right, look at that motherfucker. Knows how to fight. But you you have a look. When we go on, the, uh, you'll never have seen as many astute ears. Um I'll, I'll just on, make sure uh, to March the 18th. pack a stab vest when we do go down. But yeah, almost certainly there's going to be a lot of mentions of UFC 286 in the uh, the coming weeks. We apologise now if we come <laughs> off as smug or winding people up that haven't got the tickets or been able to afford to go. But don't take our moment in the sun away. This is us. We're going. We're happy about it. Fuck you. 283 then. Um, so 283 uh, this weekend just gone. Um quite a good pay-per-view actually they were obviously the crown new champion culmination of a really intense rivalry of god knows how many years now and how many fights um and then the retirement of two quote-unquote legends because i didn't know one of them what before last week's podcast um lot to unpack should we start with hill Teixeira? first initial point i've got is i'm not sure about hill's tats he's coming out as a slight talk about some really wanky tats and now he's the light heavyweight champion of the world hopefully he can afford to go to a better tattoo artist and get some better taps than what looked like two fists with thumbs up on either side of his chest it just looked ridiculous but you can cover it with a the strap that a he's belt got now. or yeah. his name or something anything better than it just looked i was just think sat there thinking don't look that hard from your tats alone but 
I mean, what a what a performance! I've got to say because, and I, I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to probably get away with it a little bit more. Is it give me fight, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm going to say I I thought it would give me fight. You didn't say anything in sort of um, opposition to that, so I'm just going to say I'm the casual fan, as I've already said, and you're the uh, apparent expert. But I read that he'd. Uh, got a record single fight record 232 significant strikes in ufc light heavyweight fight it was i think admittedly it's easy to say this now but you can at least back me up that this did happen we had the podcast i probably admittedly slept a little bit on hill myself hadn't seen a great deal of the man but i was i think was it friday night or saturday i text you and it was the countdown show and it was after we'd done the podcast i was watching it and i was like i think i texted you and said Fuck me, Hill looks fucking good. And this is not in any way a gimme for Glover. And wow, never said that. what a performance. What a performance that he said. He just came out. Everything, I mean, I think he stuffed overall 17, sorry, Glover tried 17 takedowns. Hill stuffed 15 of them. So one, superb takedown defense. Two, heavy, heavy hands. Brutal kicks heavy uppercuts and he absolutely took Glover's face apart I mean you saw the pictures after the fight he is mangled I'm going to say we could probably put that picture on his Twitter but last time we tried putting a we got banned yeah for 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 excessive violence which is ridiculous because you look at UFC's pages and it's ten times worse Um, but yeah it's obviously came as a shock I suppose to myself but again, I can always plead behind the uh, the casual aspects of it. You've got no excuse. You should have known. And you've let the entire fan base of the Tapping Up podcast down. I don't, I don't, wouldn't disagree uh, in some ways. I definitely, um, well, no one's sleeping on Sweet Dreams anymore, are they? Sweet Dreams, for anyone who's not aware, is uh, Hill's nickname. He's Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. Um, I mean, he... Personally, I only had, again, we won't go into too much detail because we could go on for ages, but round one, 10-9 Hill. Second round was the only one that was remotely close. I did give it to Glover, but I thought you could have easily said... Well, that more a sympathy thing. I mean, he he, he had a head and arm choke. He he, he took a takedown. He did fire some big shots back. So I, I think it was very close, but you could argue that one for Glover. Uh, round uh, round three was a 10-8. He got absolutely smashed, Glover, he did in that round. It had to be a 10-8. The only point I, I thought I would, I would make would be really good fight IQ from Hill because you could see he, at one point he wanted to empty the gas tank and just was launching punches at him. But you could see his corner saying to him, don't, you know, don't finish, don't empty the tank, hold off. So um, that was, I thought, pretty impressive fight IQ. Round four, as you say, by that point, I've got a little note, it flashed up. At the end of round four, it was 192 significant strikes from Hill to 52 from Glover. Uh, in between round four, I don't know if you caught this, that there was a little bit of an, an argument in Glover's corner. We'll come on to you in a second, but one of the one of the cornermen wanted to be stopped. And I think Glover is just so tough and knew that it was probably going to be his retirement fight. He's like, no, I'm not going out on my stool. So he came back out and he was beat 10-9 easily again uh, in the last round. So I had it 49-46 Hill. It was a unanimous decision. They didn't actually give you the judges' scores. It wasn't worth it, I think, in terms of the judges' scores. It was quite clearly one of those that 
if you put someone who has never watched a fight before in their life, they could score it quite convincingly to uh, to Hill. And obviously now he's the uh, light heavyweight champion of the world. He is, so. and I'm gonna. I'm not one to be uh, particularly um, carried away with uh, uh, you know too much hyperbolic statements. That Jamal Hill gives even peak John Jones problems. That was a real performance. He showed incredible takedown defence, which is needed against anyone fighting John Jones. Heavy, heavy hands and kicks, which for a long time have always been Jones's kryptonite. So I tell you now, immediately after that, after we'd all been talking for ages about what do we want to see, John Jones, you know, what's going on? I'll be honest with you. Jamal Hill stepping up the heavyweight, taking on John Jones is immediately what I wanted to see after that fight. That's how engaging and gripping that performance was for me. Which won't happen, realistically, will it? Because he's got a lot of things that he's got to combat stacked, first. Stacked yeah. division. There's a lot of other contenders uh, for the for the for the short term. But if someone said to me now, given when we we're only talking, you know, like a week or two away about the dream fights and what we want to see, that has come from absolutely nowhere. But I am telling you, without being over the top. That version of Jamal, that, 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 Jamal Hill gives John Jones problems. Maybe not a heavyweight, and we'll wait to see if he's lost a step, if he's kept the speed. But even Pete John Jones, I still would beat Jamal, but that would give him that would have been a a fight as close as the first Gustafsson fight with John Jones. I would say. I mean, don't know what to say to it. Silence, I was going to say a, a man who raves about John Jones almost on a weekly basis on this pod is now saying that he may potentially be in trouble in a fight but obviously he did say that he'd still win just I do think he would trouble. I definitely think he would win but I think he would pro, pro MMA's about matchups and about puzzles for me how does someone deal with the skill set of another man and I think Jamari Hill would pose a real puzzle to John Jones who does he fight next does he fight Anklev who was obviously the it was a draw, I suppose, but controversially a draw, and a lot of people thought he won the fight. Does he fight Lovic? Does I mean I don't know how far Prahaska's away from returning from injury, but does he fight Prahaska straight away? It has to be based. It shouldn't be, but it has to be based on Prahaska's timescale for recovery. Which I saw, he called him out and said he'd be back soon. He, I saw an interview with Prahaska saying he was healing quicker, and even the doctors were saying how quickly he was healing. If you're talking one versus two, that has to be the man. He gave up the belt voluntarily, in inverted commas, um, you know, to, to not hold the division up. He has to get a, a title fight immediately when he's back. So if he can make, I mean, Hill took up was was bloodied, but Hill Hill will need a, a few months at least to recover. If the timeline for um, Prasca to come back fits in with that, that has to be to me the next fight. If it's a bit longer i.e. Prast is not going to be back, I think it has to be Ankalev. Yeah, because of obviously the fact that he, again, technically a draw, but I think a and lot of people thought... if you had Prahaska, again, you could do a nice stack card. Let's say Prahaska's due back early and within the next three months. As the co-main event, you could rewind Blahovic Ankalev to give you a clear, the winner of that gets the next shot after that one. That's the very obvious fight, you know, MMA math. Thing to do would be that I would expect we'll find that out very very soon as well because I think if if it is Ankalev they'll start putting that to place quite quickly if it's Prahaska I think we'll hear sooner rather than later that he's returning from injury 
I think he'll be out for longer than people think, though. He, he, I wouldn't say took a beating, but he got beat up a bit. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out for two to three months before that uh, he, he defends his belt for the first time. Yeah, a few other big fights um, in this then. So as I said earlier, the culmination of an intense rivalry, finally. So the uh, quadrilogy. Um, about to say the word you dropped on me last week. Oh, wait, you've been smug about that. I never even heard that word before. A quadrilogy. Never heard of that. Um, again, pretty comprehensive, this one. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, for people not knowing, just to kind of quickly cover the backstory. So this was the fourth fight. First fight was a draw, split decision draw. Moreno then won, then Figgy, who we will call Figueroa. Obviously, I, I, the reason in. that I didn't introduce that is because there's not a chance that I'm uh, going to Figueredo, we will call him Figgy, uh, fair short. Uh, so that was the history in terms of draw, Moreno, Figgy. It was one of these ones, I'm not a fan. They both had, in inverted commas, a title. So Figgy is the champ, but he was out for the last period. So the Moreno's last fight was for the interim. So it's one of those ones where it's the interim champ versus the undisputed champ for the undisputed. So I kind of personally call that bullshit. What I did have to do, to be honest, is as part of this being the fourth fight, I rewatched the first three fights before this one just to kind of recap myself and see how clear it was. These guys have got to be the two best ever flyweights, not called Demetrius Johnson in MMA history. Mighty Mouse, again, slept on in terms of top five of all time, pound for pound, I would say, uh, for what he did. But these two, there's not been any one since Mighty Mouse as good as these two, I would say. Um, very, very impressive. But um, it was pretty comprehensive, to be honest with you. I had it 3-0 to Moreno before the doctor called it off for an eye stoppage. And it wasn't controversial. He, he could not open his eye. It was absolutely fully shut. I'm pretty sure you couldn't see out of it. Yeah, it was one of those ways. Well, listen, that's what you could see the doctor covering his eye and saying to him, how many fingers. I'm a fucking clue. He's just guessing. Um, the, if there was any controversy, so did you see that he Figgy tried to claim it was an eye poke, but on the replays it was very clear that he got caught with a real monster left hook, and then I think there was a second shot where. Maybe the knuckle grazed his eye, which I think may have caused one of the cuts that was bleeding into his eye. But that it wasn't an, in any way, shape or form an eye poke. Yeah, I was going to say, there no, um, wasn't deliberate in the slightest. But what I did see, and it was quite interesting, that when he congratulated Moreno at the end, he said that his time as a flyweight was up. You see that? He's moving up to Bantamweight. Yeah, do you see how he did it? I didn't really like how he did it, which was following on from... Shogun Hoo-ha and ultimately uh, Glover, the kind of thing done in MMA when someone retires is they put their gloves in the middle of the ring. which is And he he takes his gloves off, puts them in the middle of the ring to say, I'm not fighting anymore. This is all via interpreter as well. I'm not fighting anymore. At this weight, I was like, that's fucking bullshit. I I didn't really like that. I thought that was milking the crowd a little bit for dramatic effect. But yeah, he is going up to 135 says he can't be doing with the weight cut anymore. I thought it was quite interesting the crowd reaction to uh, Moreno as well when he was walking out of the stadium <laughs> getting pelted with it. There, I said to you, didn't I, when we're calling these things, the only more partisan and racist crowd that you get rather than a UK crowd is a Brazilian crowd. You will get to see firsthand because we've got tickets for UFC 286 in March. You mentioned 18th. that, have we? Um, but I'm telling you, like, it gets fierce in... in, in 
in my experience from previous events, but Brazil is unlike anywhere else like that. It's crazy, but a little bit out of order. At the end of the day, he won the fight. You can't be throwing fucking beer cans and whatever shit they were as he was coming off stage. That's unacceptable. I don't think they took the uh, the loss that well, did they? They did not. Um, and as you say, you've got to feel sorry for a guy. It should be the crowning moment of his life and he's being ushered out under security trying to fucking bend him up like a fucking being in a war zone. But it, it, surely there's that sort of playing the heel. I'd have been showing belt to him. like. Eh, eh, eh. I think that's what we wait till you get into the presser maybe where it's a bit more safe and security. But um, yeah, I just thought it would, would have took the shine off a little bit for, for Moreno. But anyone who's a professional cage fighter isn't isn't worried about a few fucking beer cans coming down from the crowd. So, um, But I just thought it was out of order, really. Yeah, bad bad losers, it shows the Brazilians are, sadly. Um, Gilbert Burns made pretty quick work of Neil Magny in their welterweight battle. Said the motherfucker's a monster on the floor, didn't I? World champion and it showed. Magny's no joke. One of some of the most, I think, I couldn't remember his top five ever uh, submission wins in the UFC across all weights. Rolled through, smashed. We've just passed three thirty around one, and then just dominated the majority it's a tough of the round. Match and then up for anyone. Burns. Burns is if he gets he gets you. I mean, look at the size of him as well. He's a big boy. He is thick, you know, stout like a fucking tree trunk. Um, he. He would worry me if, hopefully, Leon beats Usman. I think that performance has, has skyrocketed Burns to be the number one contender, I would personally say, for the world away after Edwards Usman. Well, he's teased on Twitter. Um, you just put London with a few eye emojis, so teasing that he might potentially be at 286. Um, whether, as you rightly said in a conversation that we had off the podcast, he's just sort of back up and there just in case one of the fighters does get injured. I'd quietly, it's not going to happen, is it? But I'd quite like him to be added to card against someone else. For sure. I mean, Justin Gagey is the real draw for me aside from the title fight. I can't wait to see Justin Gagey fight live and see what all the hype is about and set me set my eyeballs on him myself and, and, and make my own assessment of him um, from, from whatever fucking rowback we are. But... Um, <laughs> I think we'll wait and see how that evolves. But given it's not that far out, he's just won. He did win quickly. I personally don't think the main card looks like it's together. So I think if he's going to be in London, he will be the paid backup. Should, God forbid and touch wood when we say this, anything happen to one of the two main eventers. So if one of them had to pull out, i.e. something happened to Leon, you would likely see Burns step in and it would then be for the interim title to save the pay-per-view and... If anything happened to Usman, Burns steps in to fight for the title against Edwards. Well, he's put um, a poll on his Twitter page as well, following on from that, and it says, who should I fight next? And he's got Colby, who has weirdly won the poll, I think. Oh, no, still a few hours left on it. Uh, Bilal, second. I would like to see that fight. Uh, he's put back up for the title, weirdly, as number three. And then he's put Masvidal as number four. Uh, I mean, he's... Sm- Masvidal, apart from being the BMF, which you always like, and a genuine bad motherfucker, um, you know, he talks a great game, he sells it, he's going to make, be a fight you want to watch. He's fading fast in his days as a top-tier welterweight, are sadly done, in my opinion. Um, you did say this to say in our conversation off air and called it, to be honest with you, him, Bilal, is a stunning fight that would fly under the radar of the majority of fight fans. That would be quality and if they added that to London 
as an extra fight for us. Happy fucking days. Well, it'd be quite, I was going to say, be quite a card then. And it still won't make it worth the money in the sense that the tickets are still overpriced. It would definitely make it worth the occasion, though. Only other thing I'll mention then while we're talking uh, in terms of uh, results of 283, I've got the, our, our home lad, Paul Craig, in what I said might be the sleeper fight of the night, was smashed by Johnny Walker and knocked out in the first round. Well, you got it right about being asleep. <laughs> True. It wasn't a sleeper of a fight, but uh, yeah, he was rolled over pretty quickly. So we'll see if Walker can now, as maybe recaptured some of that momentum that steamrolled him into the, the light heavyweight title picture quite early in his, his UFC debut. Um, and of course, sadly, the only other uh, point was Shogun, as you said at the start, retiring. I hate to see a legend go out with a loss. I mean, his, I don't even want to, I, I did, I literally, when I was, we were talking about this, I wanted to Google his last few fights record. I couldn't do it to myself because I, I, I mean, you might be quicker than me, but I reckon if you brought up his recent record, he's probably like one and ten. Um, in his last eleven fights, or something like that. Two in. No, it's, it's better than you think because a lot of cancel, uh, cancelled bouts. Lost his last three. One of them being against Paul Craig. Um, drew against Paul Craig as well. But yeah, he's got a few few wins there. Well, see, give us his overall record then. It must be in the region of 50 fights. I'd guess like something like 30, 35 and 15. If it's like completely off in the region of fight record. 27, 14 and 1. He ended uh, his UFC career with more losses than he did wins. 11 wins, 12 Which is losses. Which also has to be judged by the calibre of fighter he was fighting. It never turned down a fight, fading... Uh, with age and ability. I can remember his peak was the Pride uh, 2003, 2005, sorry, Open Weight Grand Prix. So we're talking 18 years ago, this man was destroying people. Um, and for anyone who just watches a, a slightly faded and battle-worn veteran and thinks that guy's shit, what's Abel talking about, go back, watch the highlights of Pride and you will see that the man was a destroyer at the time and um, deserves the, the one of the, the the accolade of a legend in the fight game you won't know many people who have been in, around MMA for since its inception or come to it you know when it was young and it wasn't quite so um, you know mainstream and not know who Shogun who was yeah he ended his um, pride career 12 and 1 so much much healthier that sounds more like the record of a destroyer, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Um, speaking of being destroyed, Power Slap League. I don't know how we didn't mention it last week. Dana White's new little play toy. Um, it seems to be building quite a lot of controversy. Um, obviously, it came quite shortly after he was the one who was slapping his wife about. So, obviously, that created its own issue. Um it's just basically a recipe for disaster, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it been around for a while, just to be clear. This is not Dana or the UFC suddenly inventing, I don't know what the official name of the sport is. Is it slapping? Or is it power slapping the actual name of the sport? Uh, the power slap league, but it's been around for slap a while. Slap fight. It's been around for a while, so this is not 
in any way Dana just he, he's jumping on the bandwagon if anything this has been around for a while there's been plenty of YouTube memes of people you know taking these massive slaps and getting knocked out what what brought my attention to it aside from the fact that they'd obviously had to delay the launch because of the slightly ironically named powers Dana White's power slap league following the controversy with his wife was this now you know me I'm never one to call someone out I'll say something how I is Former WWE wrestler and neuroscientist Chris Nowinski. You know a bit about WWE. Do you know who Chris Nowinski is? I don't. Should I know who he is? I, I don't. I've never heard of him before. But he is, as I say, he's a former WWE, so he's probably dog shit, a fake wrestler or whatever they do. Uh, he's came out and basically said um, what, uh, how horrendous an idea this is and that what a terrible idea this is, and it can cause concussions, and went on really, really badly about causing brain injuries and things like this. His exact words, I've got them here, um, Dana White and TBS should be ashamed, pure exploitation, Who's ne- what's next? Who can survive a stabbing? What the fuck are you talking about, you moron? This is in a world where we have professional boxing and MMA. Are you telling me a slap is worse than someone getting kicked or kneed to the head? I don't disagree with the overall point that these sports are dangerous and have life-changing consequences and long-term physical damage. Who can survive a stabbing? What are you talking about, you moron? I am going to rebut this, surprisingly. We don't do this on this podcast. Do I? Um, I've not seen this. Uh, I don't know who Chris Nowinski is. Um, limited WWE knowledge these days. But um, I think there's a significant difference between what you're saying in terms of combat sports and this slap fighting nonsense. Because essentially, combat sports, it's two people, yes, trying to beat each other up. And yes, obviously trying to cause enough damage that the fight is finished. But you've then got the ability to defend yourself. This is quite literally, you have to put your hands behind your back and you're asking someone to hit you as hard as you possibly can. Um, there's been, obviously, previous uh, instances where slap fighters, again, it sounds ridiculous just calling them that, but slap fighters have been um, suffering cerebral hemorrhages, uh, they've been taken into hospital, all this sort of stuff, because essentially, as I say, it's like me saying to you now, I won't do because I think you probably would, but smack me in the face as hard as you can and I won't do all about it. I can see the point. I, I, I don't, I, again, if I'm being now that I've come down off my high horse, I, I, that is a valid point is the fighters are under MMA rules anyway, part of what they're, and this is the criteria for a referee to step in. Are they able to intelligently defend themselves? So do they know what they're doing? Completely fair point and I would take that on board. But, how many times in MMA do we see someone rocked? Do we see someone caught with a, 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 a jab or a counter, makes them drop their hands, then they get a full, undefended head kick? Leon Edwards, Usman, prime example number two. Are you telling me that the damage from that kick to Usman's head is less substantial, is more substantial, sorry, less substantial than a slap? No. Potentially, yes. Not a chance. Because it's it's not what you think it is. It isn't literally as simple as a slap. So the whole idea of slapping is... 
it's a bit of a misnomer in the sense that it, you're not getting slapped. What you're actually doing is you're getting hit with the palm of your hand palm strike. as hard as you it's can. A palm strike. And yeah. It was what was allowed in a really old school fighting called Pankatron, which was basically no punches, but you were allowed to palm strike. And then it's now evolving in, I can't forget the name of it, but there's a particular brand of jiu-jitsu which allows strike. Jiu-jitsu is normally traditionally no strikes. I agree with you, but my argument back to you, you're not defending yourself agreed you are allowed to hold a table and strain your whole body to know it's coming someone like Usman did not know that kick was coming so catches it unaware and that's a full head kick the damage on that is so much more significant than a slap in my I'm no doctor the fuck do I know but you, I think they're different leagues of damage agreed in one sense but I don't think it's as like the, the way that you're making that out is that the kicks and things like that in UFC are 10 times harder and 10 times more powerful. And they are obviously very powerful. And I'm not saying that I would ever want to be kicked in the head by Leon Edwards. But that isn't negating the absolute damage that this power slapping can do. Because do you know that you're not allowed to flinch or anything? You literally have to stay still. You're not allowed to delay the match. Otherwise, it's a foul. So if you do something that delays it, you get a foul called off. And the, the pictures that you see of these people's faces... Considering, do you know how much they get paid as well? I don't. Seen this. So they're getting paid apparently £3,200 per fight. Why on earth would anyone. And no one's do got a gun to their head, have they, to say you've got to do this? So it's. But it's only for win as well. To do it. And I, again, I hear all the points you're making. You've made me more convinced that this, maybe this. Nowinski has got more of a point, to be totally fair to you, because of the lack of defence point. But 10 times, I'm not saying, just to be clear, I'm not saying a kick is 10 times more than a slap, but a Leon Edwards kick, when Usman ducked into it and didn't see it coming, is multiple times worse than the ever open hand palm shot. Two, three times of magnitude, easily. I feel like we could talk about this all day, and I still won't agree with you. Unlike this podcast where we have different, <laughs> but, uh, that as you, uh, yeah, we're, just stand still I a think minute. we're agreeing to disagree, aren't we? On this one, we're not. We're yeah. not screaming at the mouth. We're having a sensible, articulated <laughs> discussion, like we like to try to do. And I'll be honest with you, I've moved more towards your point than you've probably moved towards mine. So get, get the table. Get the win. table. Watch this. I'll tell you the way. You saying he's not a real fighter? Fucking slap me. Fucking slap me. That's how we decide it. Power slap. But um, yeah, the, the defense point has. A lot of legs to it as an argument, I would agree with or you. Or slaps to it. Um, time for the Bonner segment then. So uh, this segment is named after the late UFC Hall of Famer, Stefan Bonner. It's the point of the show where we review and discuss some of the greatest and most memorable fights in MMA history. We'll give our listeners a bit of fun homework, post the fights, watch on our Twitter page. Obviously, we'll provide the links on our Spotify and wherever you listen to the podcast on. And the following week, we'll go through it. Um this one, UFC Live on Versus 4, 2011 main event between Nate, uh, and you're going to have to, again, forgive me for the pronunciation on this, Magat and Rick Story. Scrapped at the last minute. So Magua? Well, whatever. Um, two fighters, Czech Congo and Pat Barry, promoted to the main event of the evening. Many fans are quite disappointed. But, like a post one with Tourette's, it fucking delivered. Um... No, that would do. I can see that smuggery. Um, that you wrote that. I did. Um, you had Pat Barry, small, stout, like a square, as wide as he is short, a very, very high level 
professional kickboxer. And I don't know if you got the chance in the very short time this fight was on. His legs are genuine like tree trunks. I cannot ever recall a man with thicker thighs than Pat Barry. Insane. Czech Congo, um, huge mountain of a man. And probably would be in the title fight if you had to, if, if titles of fights were decided on the biggest looking specimen of a man ever after Francis Ngannou. A terrifyingly chiseled and ripped man. Like he was fucking harboured by the gods in fucking Athens, isn't he? Absolutely shredded. And this one is by far and away the quickest bonus segment we'll probably ever do because it came out of the, out of the gate both throwing big leg kicks, which is no surprise because Pat Barry was known as having absolute monster leg kicks. And again, with my little Muay Thai experience of one time a couple of weeks ago, that bruise still unhealed. That my ribs are still dinged up on. Um, one kick like that, a normal person cannot fathom the change of movement, the change of attitude that that would give you. And watching them both thud each other, um, it happens. Out of nowhere, right hand from Barry drops Congo. Congo is in trouble, isn't he? Chicken-legged all over the place, manages to get up, bang. Parry knocks him down again, and you think, right, this is done. You're watching, quite infamously, I believe the ref is Steve Mazagatzi, who is renowned for letting fights go and not stepping in. And you're literally holding your head like, how is this fight going? He's just getting laid out on the floor, manages to get himself up off the floor in a Herculean effort and as he's fallen away lands a right uppercut from hell and flatlines Barry. Insane fight, completely reckless from Pat Barry because he had him absolutely in the water dead. The greatest comeback I have ever seen in any fight ever in any combat sport. These are 100% my favourite fights to cover on this segment, by the way. And it's, it's, I think it's my favourite one that we've done so far. But yeah, it's one of the shortest fights you'll ever see and one of the most compelling. Just ridiculous. Like, it was definitely out. The, the second knockdown, he's out. And then he immediately of, gets back up. It's one of those fights that you, you kind of... It sounds a ridiculous thing to say for someone like us who's not been in professional fighting or, or done it. But there's almost an argument where Congo was knocked out and he gets woken up from being knocked out by the extra punches from Barry. And you've seen that sometimes in boxing where people are out and suddenly they take a, a, a second of a combo or two or three and it snaps them back out. And he was literally out. And that hand, I mean, to throw that punch as he's falling back on unsteady legs, that uppercut, and just boom, flatline him. Just insane. You'll never see someone knock someone out who was as fucked as, as Czech Congo was in that fight, in my opinion. Yeah, and that this is one, as with all these fights that we promote, always go and watch them because they're always worth watching. If you watch that, someone who's never watched a UFC fight in their life, that's two, two, two and a half minutes, tell me you don't get goosebumps watching that fight. Tell me that you don't come away from that thinking, fuck me, I want to watch another fight. Yeah. You have to. As long as they're all that short, obviously. Just I, They're the kind of one that, that that should literally be the fight you show to the first time someone wants to get into MMA. Oh, what's MMA about? What what can happen? What's this sport all about? Sherm Czech Congo versus Pat Barry. Why well, other point, just a, a little bit of knowledge for you. I didn't know if I'd drop this on you. Do you know who Pat Barry is the coach and partner of? Current UFC. I think she's bantamweight. Uh, no. Rose 
Thug Rose, because I could never say her name. Rose, is it Nakayamas? I believe is how you say it. <laughs> Nakayamas. But yeah, Thug Rose, as she's referred to. Pat Barry is often in her corner, is her coach. And uh don't think they're married, but they are together. Yeah, just Googled it. And the first thing that comes up is Sean Strickland had recently brought accusations of Pat Barry being a predator back into life with claims that he'd groomed Rose. Okay, well, that's a story. I did not know that. I've got Jesus. Um, I mean, there is probably a pretty big wage gap uh, uh, difference between them, but I have not ever heard that, I have to be honest. Uh, but he's quite infamously always in a corner, often in a, in a, a build-up for a, a title fights when she was the champ. You'd see him there holding uh, mitts. He was a kickboxing coach. Say, world-class kickboxer, Pat Barry. But I did not know that. Football, then. Um, it seems to have finally come to a head for poor Fat Frank. Sacked to Everton and <laughs> the club seems to be in turmoil. Let me get my uh, violin out and play. I couldn't... Well, I'll be honest, I'm, as a Liverpool fan, disappointed that they got rid of Frank because had they kept Frank, he was taken down. It's a weird one because clearly their problems run a lot deeper than the manager and managerial sacking is always the first thing to do in it whenever you're struggling and it look like you're set for relegation and I think four of the bottom it might be all bottom four teams at the moment have sat the manager this season you've obviously got Wolves, Bournemouth um, Southampton Southampton, and now Everton um, there needs to be a big change at this club whatever happens with Everton whoever they seem to get in and it, it seems to be a two horse race uh, between Sean Dyche and the apparent winner at the moment and it's Marcel Bielsa which I think it's weird for a Leeds fan, but I'll be honest, I'm not that bothered by it. I think he'll take them down. I don't think Bielsa coming in halfway through the season is a good idea for any football club because he needs to instill his, his values and he needs to instill his playing style, which is going to take a hell of a lot longer than they've got to turn this round. But everything is, is wrong at that club at the moment. They seem to have issues with the playing staff, issues with the owners. Mashiri came out and said that it's for sale. And then he said a little bit later, that it's not for sale. So, load going wrong with this moment. Um, the best thing that's happened, just to compile it, was everything that happened with Dan Juma. Um, so, obviously, they were set to sign Dan Juma on loan. It seems to be going through, despite sacking of, of Frank Lampard, um, who had apparently played a, quite a key role in that deal as well. So, despite how Paul he was doing as a manager... He was seemingly still a draw for people. And then at the very last minute, Spurs apparently get in touch and he changed his mind. Must make a change for Spurs to be the winner in one of those situations because most players that we've heard those stories before have usually fucking Spurs off at the last minute, aren't they? But um, weird, just a point on the Bielsa thing, just because I thought it was strange hearing, obviously, with you as as a Leeds fan and being in Leeds, picking up some of the kind of, ah, he's a traitor, he's this... Isn't it strange how he's a football manager? Now, I know he was a bit of a legend and a little bit of a unique individual, if we can describe him as that, and, and, and he you know, had a lot of fans at Leeds. Can you ever have a football manager and then say to them, it's unloyal for them to join another club and do their job as a football manager? No, not even slightly. It's I, ridiculous, I'm isn't not, it, in some ways? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not in the slightest, to be honest, worried or concerned or upset about the whole idea of him going to another club and potentially doing well with him, and good luck to him. I don't hold any grudges against him doing it. We sacked him at the end of the day, so it's not like we can turn around and say, well, uh, so how's he's he left doing you that? for them, is it? Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but also, I don't think it'll work out for him. I think there's there's too many factors that go against this working out, and I think it's more likely to be a, a Marseille... Um, oh, not Marseille, sorry, Lille, that he was there for six games or whatever it was, or six days and then left. Um, was that Athletic Bilbao? No, Athletic Bilbao he did really well with. Oh, okay. to, to, um finals and stuff never won anything but so I think right, he did well for Marseille team. actually sorry I think you're more Lille uh, and there were another one as well but Lazio Lazio he had a, a very short one. period of tenure didn't he but you look at Leeds he didn't come in and, and change things overnight he had the structure changed of the training ground he had the structure changed of some of the things in the stadium and it took a number of months of pre-season for him to instill those values into the players and those players were drastically improved by him yes but not in a short space of time and he didn't immediately get success in the sense that we didn't get promoted in the first year. We actually crashed and burned in quite comical fashion in the first year. It was only until the second year that they ran away the league. And that's not what a relegation battle is all about. It's about you need to get these results here and now, which is why you always get the old adage of get Big Sam in or people like that, which don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating for him. But I think Sean Dyche would have been a better choice. I don't disagree with anything, strangely, compared to what I normally do. I, I totally agree with you. I think Bielsa is not someone you get in halfway through a season. He needs to be given time, and it would be completely naive and someone who you'd hope runs a football club and sporting directors know more about football than us. We can see you can't implement his methods immediately. He wants to, he'll work on the fitness of the players. He'll work on the tactical side. He is, he is not your... Snap your fingers and turn around. He is going to take time for his methods and his his ethics. A bit like Potter at Chelsea. You could call. You could call. I don't know if I would, but Potter is a a poor man's Bielsa in that his methods and ethos take time. Maybe more than other managers. He's not a snap your fingers. It's good. He he wants to change a lot of things, and I think it's completely naive. And it would be a disastrous decision for Everton and Bielsa to take that job. Agreed. Um, transfer window's closing in then so by the time we record our next episode the transfer window will be closed so it's it's always weird times isn't it, across Europe but it's 11 o'clock on Tuesday the 31st of Jan for the Premier League Bundesliga's 5 Syria's 7 uh, La Liga's same as us and League 1 is at 11.59 um, there's a few big deals still reportedly happening. So you've got Chelsea, who are still trying to get a hold of Enzo Fernandez, despite having bids rejected at the start of the month. You've got uh, Quesadillo, who is definitely one to keep, keep an eye on, whether he goes to Chelsea, whether he goes to Arsenal, whether he goes to yourself at Liverpool. Obviously, a, a lot of money is going to have to be thrown at him. I think they put a 80 to 100 million price. I don't think he'll go to the summer personally. I, I think Brighton keep him till the summer. Which you could definitely understand because why would they be in a rush to get rid of players when they're doing so well? Um, one to keep your eye on is apparently Bellingham. So attracting a lot of interest. I think that that, a little bit like you've just said there, is a summer transfer, but Liverpool, City, and Real Madrid are all apparently pushing quite hard for him. And you might see sort of a, a pre deal done in prep for the summer. Whisper it quietly. But people saying Liverpool are the favourites. Like I said to you before, I didn't I had a feeling that we'd end up getting him. And um, from what I read, that they keep saying that we seem... It seems relatively clear he's going to leave the summer at the latest and it's going to be City, Liverpool, Real. And it's going to be a big, big money sign. I don't signing. think it would be, there's going to be any real surprises. Man, you were 
apparently in the running at one point. They don't seem to be now, but I, by all accounts, it's one of those three teams, isn't it? And I think, as you say, if I had to put money on it, I think the summer. And given that he's only 19 still, I do think the sensible lad that he seems to be, Liverpool is the sensible move to allow him to evolve. And he can still do a City, he can still do a Real Madrid, Real Madrid in the peak of his career in five or six years' time. So I think I'm quietly confident about that one. Fingers crossed he goes to Man City then. Um, <laughs> Everton winger Anthony Gordon is attracting interest from Newcastle. Um they're apparently pushing quite heavily on this one. I think Chelsea are interested, as Chelsea seems to be interested in everyone. £60 million is apparently the price tag on him. Crazy. Not impressed in, again, not just the, the bias that he's an Everton player. Looks at a, an OK prospect. Not a fucking chance, £60 million for me. And not being funny, look at the way Newcastle are playing and how well they're doing. You don't get in that team. No. You can't put, be putting him in in front of Almiron or... Um, even Joe Linden, who might have been a bit of a joker a while back, he, both, they're, both of them are better than, than Gordon easily in the way that, that Newcastle are playing. So, um, just yeah, been banned from one. driving as Joe Linton. You seen he's fine. He's fine. He's less than a week's wages for him. I'm sure he'll be really upset about it. It's supposed to be done on your earnings, though, isn't well, it? I think clearly not, is it? It's less than a week's wages for him. It's like £25,000. I think he earns like 39 if not significantly more than that at Newcastle and the more annoying thing I'm sure is he could probably fucking hire a driver for that free year yeah. to drive him around wherever he wanted so he didn't he's need to, have to do driving now, so. But, um, um, yeah so you've got uh, Brighton reportedly interested in Shakhtar Donetsk's centre back uh, Matty Vienko so if anyone wants to get hold of him you want to do that now because you've seen that Brighton are interested in him and he's clearly going to be brilliant because their scouting network's fantastic uh, Bournemouth are <laughs> competing with Southampton for Nicholas Jackson at Villarreal. That's a good player. Striker, isn't he? Is that good that two relegation-threatened teams are going after him and no one else is? Uh, I'm wondering, only on a side note, is, is there problems at Villarreal? Because they haven't been good seasons, but obviously Dan Juma is there as well. And I'm wondering if they're, for the financial fair play or something, they suddenly need to start tipping the books. And if they did, the one that you want to be looking at, their star, star standout player, which I'm still surprised is still there, is Pau Torres, the centre-back. Absolutely quality centre-back and um, if they were needing to clear the books out and get some money in relatively quickly um, there could be a few teams that I would have thought that would be sniffing around him because he is a quality centre-back he really is and I'm surprised he ain't gone already to be honest um, Leeds are apparently locked into negotiations with Juventus from Western McKennie a bid has recently gone in which doesn't meet the valuation that Juventus have put forward I think Leeds bid about £25 million Pounds and I think from what it sounds like, Juventus won about 31, 32 million pounds. You would think that's not a, a big distance. That should get done if both teams want it. It seems like Juventus have never really taken a shine to McKenney, despite the fact that he's playing quite a lot of games for him. Um, and there's obviously the American connection. He's apparently said yes to Jesse Marsh and Quinn on, so I think that would be a good signing for Leeds. And then really, really big news, uh, Arsenal's fullback Cedric has uh, is going to Fulham. That's the the deal of the transfer winner. Is that the one that you said there was wasn't that going to be on loan and then they've already got two people on loan so they're going to have to bounce someone. Correct. So it's Dan James on loan from Leeds and it is Shane Duffy on loan from Brighton but from what it sounds like I think they're making Shane Duffy permanent. So it won't uh, cost a lot of money with a little bit. So pins. Dan James won't be on his way back to Leeds to sit on the bench. Unfortunately not. We, we could have sold him. That'd have been a good way to try and get some more money to put towards Western McKenney but 
um, yeah, one to keep your eye on, and obviously we'll see what the the next week brings and see if Chelsea try to hijack seven hundred million bids in the, the next few days. But um, Harry Kane equaled the record set by Jimmy Greaves, two hundred sixty six goals in four hundred and fifteen games for Tottenham. Quite the player, very impressive record. He is Mister Seven and a Half out of Ten for me, and he. Everything he does, he doesn't do anything spectacularly, but he does everything very, very well. Good movement, good header of the ball, good finisher. You know, you can't say he's a nine out of ten in any of those categories, but he's probably seven and a half across the board. Is he Tottenham's best ever player? Jimmy Greaves is hard to equal, and again, you're talking about even for my generation, people don't really. I mean, I remember Jimmy Greaves being on TV, Greaves and St John. Um, uh, holding, hosting, you know, um, Saturday afternoon football and things like that. I don't think I even appreciate probably what a player is, but Jimmy Greaves is always held in a very, very high esteem by former pros. I mean, if you look at in the Premier League era, which is more to date, I appreciate, but I mean, Harry Kane's got to eclipse what would be the other people that are talked about in that conversation for Spurs, you know, Ginola, Klinsman. And Klinsman was only there for fucking two years, I think. One really good season, then came back later in his, his career. So, for me, certainly in the modern era, has to be their best ever player. Should he leave? No silverware at the moment. Doesn't look like Spurs are any close to winning anything. Um, top four hopes are not hanging by a thread, but questionable this year. Obviously, there's a lot going on behind the scenes with Conte and questions marks of whether he's going to stay or not. Is it time for him to go to someone like Manu, for example? I can't help but wonder if that window of opportunity has expired in that Levy is known as a very, very shrewd negotiator and he's going to want to get the most money for him. I'm not sure I would want to be paying 60, 70 million for a 30-year-old who doesn't have an abundance of pace, even though he is a captain and has uh, brings more to the all-round team. I wouldn't be personally surprised if he ends up staying at Spurs now. For the rest of his career and goes down as you know their greatest ever. Um, the only player you could really have any comparison to of someone that has very late in their career done the dirty and sort of swapped allegiances like that would probably be Van Persie, wouldn't it? That, yeah, but look at how well it worked out for him. It worked out pretty well for United for the two or three years that he he was there. So, um, yeah, I... I I wouldn't be too bothered. Everyone knows I'm not Man U's biggest fan. Would I suddenly be super bothered if Kane went there and think, right, they're um, you know, a real force to be reckoned with? Not overly. I think it's, it's it would be a shame for a, a player of his calibre to end his career without winning anything. If he wins something with England, even better. And obviously I don't really care if he wins something club level. It's not going to give me sleepless nights or anything like that. But it does seem a player who is like you say, consistently good in terms of a striker. His goals are unparalleled. It's obviously, he's going to get the record. Um, he's going to beat the record, should I say, for uh, Spurs' top goal scorer. So, he's going to be England's top goal scorer as well. Yeah, he's exactly. going to take that record. He's obviously tied, I think, at the moment. But he's going to win that. The only thing I would be interested with, whether you've done your homework here, dig you out on your stats, would you say 266 goals? Yes. How many penalties? How what a ridiculous question. I don't know that. Well, I thought you might have done your research. But I, again, purely speculating, I bet you at least 60 got those goals are penalties, which 
slightly takes the the charm the the allure of those numbers off when we talk about the ridiculous numbers again that someone like Messi was throwing up when we talked about Pele sadly passing the numbers that he put up uh, I couldn't tell you for Spurs but the stats that say here it says total penalty scored 58 total penalties missed 11 whether that includes that horrible horrible World Cup penalty I don't know so not far off at 60 so I'm, saying yeah. that, that, I'm just saying again not, not trying to be difficult about his record but Whenever someone is a penalty taker, that has to be taken into account and they've had a significant number. It just slightly takes the, the shine off those numbers a little bit, if, if I'm being brutal. Weirdly, um, just because obviously we were talking about transfers, it just popped up. Newcastle have put St. Maxman up for sale. Wow. 26 million, apparently. Well, it says in excess of 26 million, which I never understand. Could do a lot worse. And again, he's... he's one of the most wildly inconsistent players I've seen on his day, literally a world beater. Yeah. Absolutely amazing, but you get that five games a season. Which is weird because he's been quite important under Howe. I don't think he's, he's been... Hasn't been playing there, has he? He's been making a difference off the bench, but I, 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 one of those players that you literally, when he has one of those five games a season, you sit back and you're like, he could play for Real Madrid, he could play for Man City, he... But then, when he's not on his so day. direct, yeah, and pacey, he's one of those people that is messy esque in that he can run at probably the exact same speed with the ball as without. There's no difference in his dribbling a pace whatsoever when he's got the ball. Um, but just yeah, will probably be one of the great what ifs. You know, sadly, doesn't live up to quite the potential he had. Agreed. Um, Arsenal Man U, quite a a good game actually. Surprisingly, I thought it'd be one of these that. Has a lot of hype. You watch it, and nothing really happens. I think it's time that we start facing up to the fact that Arsenal are on for winning the league, aren't they? Fucking ding dong of a football match, wasn't it? Proper old school Man U Arsenal match where they both were the two top teams, probably in England, both competing. Bit of edge to it. Um, I think not. Out, uh, taking a massive slice of our own humble pie here. I think you're right that Arsenal are. Absolutely in the title race. I'll be honest, I don't think you can count Man U out of it. The way I don't think you can. Played, I, I think, think they they're, are they're good, onto yeah. the top four as well, which I re- reiterate what you were saying uh, either last week or the week before, which is we just, you know, text me out of the blue on a Saturday. Don't 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 want to say this, but Man U might, might be on for the title here. This I think they're going to win. a bit of momentum out of it. But... They've got Carabao Cup as well, which it looks like they're almost certainly in the final because obviously they beat. Um, Forest 3-0 last night easily uh, yeah quite a comfortable one so it's going to be almost certainly them versus Newcastle in the final for that if he wins that trophy and then whatever top four and a trophy you cannot ask for a better season for him I think very quietly and efficiently going about his business Ten Hag I've been very impressed very good manager to be getting the, you know the look he's not searching for the the the, the 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 spotlight and like a lot of managers just seems to get on with it been sadly very very impressed with him and what he's doing with Man U quietly and efficiently. And he's turned Rashford back into Marcus Rashford of old. I'd say, I'd argue that I would always one that would say, who the fuck is Marcus Rashford? Even when he was good, he wasn't that good. He is a right player now. He is. I, I think he's a better version of what he was. I think he looks a, a real, real player. Seems to be playing with a smile on his face again. Clearly something wasn't right under the former management and hadn't been for... A few years he'd been off the boil in terms of the numbers that he put up when he since he burst on the scene. But a stunning goal, mm-hmm. 
uh, to to open the scoring for 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 Man U and um, clearly been working out, putting time in at the gym, was bouncing defenders off left, right, and centre. Really, really impressed with his evolution as a player. I think that's probably what Ten Hag has got him doing a little bit more of because he he does like you say he he never used to have people just sort of hitting him and then bouncing off. It used to be quite lightweight, wouldn't really able to get past people as as easy as he's doing now. But yeah, he, he looks a very, very good player. How old is he? How old is Rashford now? He's not 20, old, is he? 25, maybe. Plenty of time in his career. Oh, plenty of time. I mean, he used to be a bit, this is probably a, a reference that you won't even appreciate, Willow the Wisp. Willow the Wisp is. It's like a cartoon of this really frail and skinny wisp thing. But, right, well, I'll make sure to put that on my watch list. Yeah, um, but yeah, I say I, I would, I would personally say this version of Rashford is the best version we've ever seen. Not Which back I don't to think the old disagree days. With. Yeah, I think he he is showing himself as an evolving player, and I, I think it's even funnier that a lot of people, Man U fans, that is, um, and, and other fans were obviously taking quite a bit of piss out of him, but they wanted him gone a few seasons ago saying yeah we'll sell him we'll get some money for him and then people I remember seeing Leeds fans on Twitter saying no, I won't buy him he's not that good I'm like what are you talking about and then as you can see he's show- what's this he's showing me Willow the Wisp looks it's like a skinny little ghost looks like Casper but yeah again I, I Willow the Wisp that, but another piece of fantastic knowledge from yourself there um, FA Cup so we've got FA Cup fixtures coming up um they go from one side of oh god I can't remember what it's called it's not Pennines Manchester anyway they're going from United to City (laughs) Rastel so they obviously played uh, United and now playing City on Friday so tomorrow uh, as the first game in the fourth round proper I think this is going to be two rested teams Two second string teams. You would think so. Um, City obviously have the bigger squad at yeah. their disposal. So if they were to rest players or rotate the squads, you'd think City would end up with a stronger eleven on paper. Um, Arteta has shown that he, I think, is probably serious about trying to win something. But you do wonder with the result of the weekend and the way their season is panning out, will he be less likely to try and risk the first team? So. You will probably get people like your Smith Rose. Well, they played the quite a strong team in the the third round. Obviously, had Inketia, um Xhaka, they had uh, Martinelli. So it, it wasn't exactly a a full B team. But I think you've got to take into account that how well they're doing in the league. They have to really prioritise that almost certainly. So I think there's going to be some, as you say, it might be the Smith Rose, it might be stuff like that. But or he might just say, you know what, I'm going to win it all. I mean, he might do, as you say, I think he's almost caught in a does he don't, don't he? If, he? if they weren't doing so well in the league, I'm sure he'd be more inclined to stick a first 11 out in the cup and go for that to get a trophy. The closer in every game that goes by, do you need to see, save something a little bit in the tank, given that their squad isn't the deepest? So, I mean, challenging on all fronts, is a, uh, uh, the three of the fronts is, is, a, is a nice position to be in. But yeah, I would be, I think they'll both because of the fact it will likely come down to the two of them for the title, some will also be wanting a little bit of a, a psychological edge over the other. So I've got a bonus. I wouldn't be surprised if they're two sort of 75% first-team teams. Well, they've got a week off anyway, haven't they? So it's not one of these where 
you play that and then like with you know EFL teams you're back in it at, in midweek so I, I can see that um, I wouldn't be doing what my mates are doing and driving all the way down from Leeds to go watch this though personally at 43 quid a ticket we thought we got ripped off but um, yeah there's a few other games that are worth noting I suppose um, well having said that I always love FA Cup because it just it's the weirdest games Walsall Leicester at Walsall you've got Accrington Stanley uh, who were there against Leeds and that's uh, on BBC One I think that's the uh, one of the early kickoffs at Accrington Stanley it's absolutely set up for a giant killing because that's what Leeds do in these tournaments um, few of the teams got sort of weird matchups in that you've got like Luton versus Grimsby Blackburn versus Birmingham Chef Wednesday versus Fleetwood so a lot of teams have a chance to progress and then obviously go on to play bigger teams in the next round you've got um uh, Sunderland, who are doing quite well, playing Fulham. Preston against Spurs is on TV. Man, you Reading. I feel like I see this every single time in FA Cup. That has to be drawn quite a few times. Um, and then a game that I'm sure you're looking forward to watching on the Sunday, Brighton. I was saying, I feel like you're leaving out the major clash going in order. In, in, of Brighton-Liverpool, but um, not looking forward to Liverpool getting back down to Brighton again. Um, obviously took a bit of a humbling there last time. Got very lucky with them earlier in the season at Anfield to get away of a 3-0 draw when we were 2-0 down. Um, said it over and over, very, very decent team, Brighton. Like their players, like the manager, like the way they do things. So um, Liverpool will not get away with putting out a garbage team like we did against Wolves in the last round and scraping through in the replay. Um we do have a week off, so again, I think on a momentum basis, if I was Klopp, I'd be putting out a pretty strong team. Agreed. I think Brighton will probably turn you over anyway, so it's not going to matter. It'll be fun probably to watch fair. on ITV1, and uh, I think it's the lunchtime kickoff on Sunday. I think so. So that'll be fun for you to watch as well. ITV, as you say, and um, ITV's coverage. But Only other game that I would just make note of, because I'm quite I like watching these, and obviously it's the weird fairy tale story slash not at all it's more like an MK Don story but Wrexham we've got Sheffield United at Wrexham and that's on BBC One uh, the 4.30 kickoff on Sunday could say a winnable game given what they've done a bit before at home probably be a relatively full stadium there TV cameras wouldn't call it a massive upset to see them do that and, and I'd be interested to the last time Wrexham were potentially in the fifth round that would be a good stat for you um, do you think that there will be any white cards issued in that game? Oh, I just bang my head against the wall sometimes with these things because I thought I had it, I, I saw this, I kept this in the locker a little bit, didn't I, to earlier today or yesterday and said to you, you seeing what's going on in Portugal? Just to test the water to see if you'd... you'd I thought there were another war radar. or something coming. Like, oh, um, no. And yeah, so this is that it was trialled in a women's match in Portugal, the first ever white card. So rather than a disciplinary sanction as a red or yellow card is, this is supposed to reward sportsmanship or fair play. And I believe it was because uh, one of the players had suggested a halt to the match because someone in the stadium was unwell and I think it transpired was having a heart attack. This person got a white card I had, I had to look this up because I saw the story and then obviously you raised it as well. 
but I didn't really look into it in the sense that I knew what this card was. So I looked into it. It says specifically, the card was introduced by Portuguese authorities as part of a new initiative to encourage teams to act in a sporting manner and get immediate positive recognition. It can be shown to anyone who is involved in fair play and is designed to improve the ethics of the sport. And I think the white card was actually shown to uh, a member of the medical staff. It wasn't a player, it was a member of the medical staff. Uh, in this game between Sporting Lisbon and, and Benfica. And there's a little note here that says, the crowd stood and cheered and applauded the decision. What uh, What does it mean? Like, what do you get from it's it? It's a fucking participation badge in this nonsense well, what's the point? world we live in. Like, what? It's not... Like, cards have... Meaning. Sanctions, <laughs> a meaning. It's just something that goes with them, i.e., that's a yellow. You're halfway to being sent off. You can't behave in that manner or put any more fouls in. And if you accumulate five over the course of a period of time, you're going to get a ban. But what, what, what's a white card do? Does it give you more points? It's Does it fucking give... nonsense, mate. And it just shows... Do not... Premier League, as a plea, do not accept this nonsense into our game. Let's put a stamp on it now. We don't need... No, Has anyone said, do you know what? We really need a completely pointless card... To recognise sportsmanship. But it don't mean no. anything. That, that's... No one's ever said that in any sport, have they? So let's knock this on the head now. Nonsense. Don't need it. Stay in Portugal. You're welcome to it. Well, there's... I can't remember what sport it is, but there's green cards in there <laughs> as well. So not in football, but a green card is... I thought a I'm... green card was a name for a visa in it America. Is. It absolutely is. It? But a green card, I think it's a penalty card in... Is it hockey? And it's essentially, it's a card to indicate a warning that isn't quite as bad as a yellow card. I just know A that. verbal warning, basically. But, yeah, I don't understand the white card. And I looked at it and I got stuck down a rabbit hole of trying to find out what it actually is. And there isn't anything that, tell, that tells me what the reason for it is. Because I just don't get it. You could go up to someone and say, oh, well done. Thanks for notifying me of that. What do you need a card for? And what does a card give you? I mean, are we, are we in the world now where someone just does their job? They're in the medical staff. All right, that's for the, the team. But surely anyone as a medical professional would want to help someone in need. Do you do your job? And I walk around and say, thanks for doing your job, Daryl. There's a white card. What? It's just absolutely in line with the nonsense way this world is going. But if, if they got something from it, so like, I don't know, a reward, a £10,000 reward or something, at least there would be a reason about it. I, I just it drives me drives me absolutely mental when something happens without any consequence or reason. It's not thought it through. Tell me what the point is. <laughs> it's a completely unthought through jumping on a bandwagon of woke nonsense idea. The only thing that I could possibly think that ever, if you look at a Premier League, I was trying to, I was doing the same as you. I wouldn't say I went down a rabbit hole, but I read this nonsense and I thought, right, when has that ever? been applicable whenever would a white card have been applied in a Premier League match the only thing I could remotely think of was there was infamously the time where Paolo Di Canio someone was injured when they playing for West Ham crossed the ball and instead of heading it in he grabbed it out of the air because the guy was down that to most English football fans would be heralded as the only example of sort of outrageous sportsmanship I would certainly I could think of maybe there's been plenty of others that I, I'm not aware of that's the one that's always whenever you hear those words sportsmanship which doesn't really means a lot of different things to different people that's usually the example that would be shown 
So he doesn't have a goal in. He got loads of acclaim at the time. Well done, Paolo. What a good Blake we are. Well done. He gets a white card. What? Uh, Chris Eubank let me down massively. Um, I predicted that he would win on points. Keeps my streak of never, ever getting any of these right. And I don't think I ever will. I think, as I said to you, I could predict that Tyson Fury would spark out a little girl. And I think the little girl would catch me with a lucky left hook. Um, Liam Smith, it was quite. you thought he was closer. I thought that Eubank essentially had boxed his head off up until that fourth round at which he got sparked out. Um, he said at the end and since then that he's ready to accept the rematch clause but he's open to anything. So there was apparently rumours that Kel Brook wanted the winner. Um, there was rumours that, <laughs> my favourite one, GGG was an option. Good luck. Um, although he is he's getting on a little bit, but obviously they're in a much better position and they would be the, the A side of any rematch if it were to get to that. Um, my opinion, and I said this to you straight away, was it wasn't a legal knockout. I think he got hit with an elbow and then he got uppercutted and then he got hit with flush with a few other points. Um, no one raised this at all. Weirdly, again, nothing that's just popped up. Uh, Chris Eubank's team are considering appealing regarding the use of an elbow from Leon Smith that uh, basically started the exchange that floor banked him. Uh, that floor banked him. That floored him. It was two points for me. One, it was another shining example of how woeful, particularly Sky. I'm calling them out here. The coverage of boxing is compared to the UFC. It must have been five minutes after the fight finished before they showed us a replay. There was in the commentary, Macklin, I think it was, said, oh, looked like there might have been an elbow there. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. It was literally over five minutes before they showed a replay. I disagree. I can see... I think we dis- don't disagree you got caught on the follow-through with an accidental elbow. I think where me and you have disagreed on this is the damage and the extent to which that impacted on the fight I think that had very little impact in the grand scheme of things it was the smashing uppercut that fucking put him on uh, wobbly and put him down the first time and he didn't recover but equally I would take the point that you made to me which is that absolute monster of a hematoma and swelling that came up almost instantaneously did seem to be roundabout if not there or there on where the elbow was seen to kind of connect so I I still think no matter what happened he was getting sparked out with that uppercut because it was literally the next punch afterwards so I'm I'm not sure it had any overall effect in the outcome myself I disagree in that sense I think personally that essentially that elbow that it's definitely an elbow uh, that catches him basically dazes him I don't think it, it causes the damage that knocks him out, but it definitely dazes him and it leaves him as more of an open target. I'm not saying that those uppercuts and the, the punches that came afterwards didn't do damage because they clearly did and they were caught absolute flush. Um, so much so that when he tried to get up afterwards, he tried to keep fighting after the fight had been called off after the second knockdown. But yeah, I'd, I'll be honest, I'm massively disappointed in Eubank Jr. I thought it'd be a lot better than that. I thought his game plan was working, but then you know that Liam Smith is only going to win this fight if you can get up close and you let him do it. You go right into the corner, you let him do it, he has his way, we are, and you've lost. But See, I, I don't... I think Eubank was evolving into the fight. I had the first round very clearly for Smith. I thought he landed the bigger punches, he kept him more at distance. I gave Smith the second round, which I know you disagreed with. You thought, and I did give Eubank quite handily the third. 
but um, Eubank was definitely growing into it and looked like he had the original right game plan, which was to stay away, dive in, almost Roy Jones. Just, I said to you straight away, I can't stand when a fighter has their hands up, though. It's a dangerous, it's a stance dangerous it's, it's game to play when you're not having your hands up to defend yourself, no matter how quick you are, because speed ultimately goes. Eubank is not a young, young man anymore. It's 30, 32, 33. So speed is going to be something that eventually goes. But um, to be honest, he's a dick, Eubank. Don't like him. Absolutely delighted to see Smith Spark come out. Here's one for you then. If the destined fights, quote-unquote, um, between him and Ben, Conor Ben, does go ahead now, initially I wanted Conor Ben to win because I thought Conor Ben was more of a likeable fighter. Obviously all this has happened about the him being pregnant and taking all this sort of stuff. Um, he says obviously it's all false and he's going to prove his innocence. If they did have a fight now, and he wasn't banned from from boxing. Who would you want to win? Ben. Still, I still dislike. I just think Eubank's a clown. I don't like it. he. Look, look at how stupid he now looks when he was set about the stuff with Ben, who ultimately was obviously this more Armani at sixty percent. Now he didn't roll that thing out with with Smith. Imagine what a clown you look like if you're trying to say, yeah, I'm going to easily beat someone, and then you get steamrolled like he did. I thought I, we were saying this one way, but I think, and my initial thought was that. If they did fight in that scheduled fight, he would have actually got sparked out because if the the rumours are true and he was juicing and he were, you know, going into it when being a bit naughty and he shouldn't have done what he do uh, doing. But Eubank were also not going to be at peak condition because he's obviously had to make weight. I think he'd have been in big, big trouble. I think it'd have been more explosive than this knockout as well. I think you're right, and it's one of the most dangerous things you can do to a body is a massive weight cunt. You are hugely dehydrating yourself, and particularly for bigger fighters going down, the damage, and for someone who's based on speed and energy like his game, that can be a big, big drain on you, literally, from, from cutting all of that weight, the electrolytes, everything that you, you, you're losing to make the weight. So... Um, if you work on a Ben and you were able to get that fight back on the cards now at the same weight, I think you'd be fancying your chances. I think so. Um, speaking of explosive knockouts, last thing for us this week, Artem Bev. Um Is it an impossible fight for Anthony Ard this, this weekend? 100% impossible. He gets KO'd like every other victim of Berbiev. Only boxer in the professional ranks with a 100% KO record. Um... Don't disagree, and I, I think, I mean, the way that it goes, if I say he's going to get knocked out, probably the opposite way, and he's probably going to get his head boxed off, but you would be back in Berbiev quite heavily to knock out Yard here. The only difference maker in all of this would be if you say, but you think Berbiev will win because you have he'll a lose. 100% yeah. record of getting fights wrong. But um, I don't see any way... Anthony Yard doesn't become another statistic in the collection and we, number 19. The the only issue that I would say and the only difference in what people think Berbiev is like, he is disruptive and he's got very big power, but he's not a one-punch KO artist. He is someone who will take seven, eight rounds, wind you down, that cumulative effect of relentless pressure, it'll slowly unravel you, and then when you, you're tired, you're like, bam, get to canvas. Destructive, just like I think people don't. Hundred is again. All right, you, if you again we were looking at this pragmatically, who are those eighteen key KOs over? He doesn't have the greatest record. He is getting on. He came to the professional ranks slightly later than a lot of people would do, but 
he's a monster absolute monster and I don't see any way Yard has a chance Yard by knockout then is what I'm going with <laughs> so you've just given the fight so, yeah, to, we'll, to Bert we'll, we'll see we'll see um, that's all this week then thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week